Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. We're here today with Suzanne Ettinger. How are you, Suzanne? I'm well, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm good. So we're, we're here talking uh, April 9th, 2020. A very interesting time to be a law firm owner, isn't it? It certainly is. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know, we're just kind of muddling through and seeing what we can do to, to keep everybody's spirits up and our own and make the business continue. You know, most credit goes to my husband, Michael, who developed the firm 30 years ago. Um, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's an unusual model. It just seems to work for us. You know, the fact that we are reaching out to people using that website and the fact that we're across the state and, um, you know, we have multiple offices so people don't have to travel far to come see us. It works really well. So how many offices do you guys have? We have 15 offices. Wow. And then... Um... So 15 offices, and then you, you basically, I, I, the, the way, it's like a machine, I mean, the, the way that the, this thing works. I mean, it, I, when I first was, was, I had to sit and listen, and then I read Michael's book, Elder Law, mm-hmm. and I, I, I learned how it works. And to me, it was, it seemed to me, if you're in New York, and you are, I don't know, anywhere uh, 40 years old and, and over, you got a family or you got kids. It seems like it's worth a call to end your law firm just because you're not going to be paying any money unless your, your whole plan is understood, agreed to, and something that is exactly what you want. Yeah, exactly. That, that's really something that, you know, our clients are happy about and we're happy to do it this way honestly, we don't take any money at all until they sign. So, you know, part of it is, is to make the client happy. But a big part, in my opinion, is if a client doesn't understand what they're getting or what they're signing or what they're, you know, um, establishing as their estate plan, it's not going to work for them. So by the time people do sign, they're really very well informed. I, I joke to some of my clients and I say, by the time you sign this thing, you're going to be able to put on the seminar that you, you met me at, you know, so they're really very, very informed and very comfortable. So let's, let's back up. Um, t- tell us a little bit about your upbringing, Suzanne. Um, you know, wh- sure. Where are you from? So I am from Long Island, New York, and um, I grew up in Huntington, which is a great town. I'm actually, I'm actually there right now in our Huntington office, which is close to home. Um, is I that a always... train stop, Huntington, on the way it to Manhattan? Is. It absolutely is. It's an hour from Manhattan. Um, it's it's one of the hubs, and um, you know, really nice suburban community. Um, I grew up with a brother and a sister, my parents, and you know, from the time I was really little, like fifth grade, I decided to, I wanted to be a lawyer. So so this has been a long time coming. What? Did, so tell tell me about your parents. What what did they do for a living? So I am first generation to 
go to and graduate college. My father worked for the um, Federal Aviation Administration. He was an engineer there without a college degree because back then you could do that. Um, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She had some part-time jobs, but, you know, we were close-knit family. And, um, you know, I, they were so proud to have all three of their kids go to college and become successful. And it, it really, it's wonderful because now our children are, you know, next generation to do so. And how about your grandparents? Where, where, where were they from? So my, my mother's parents were both from Italy. Um, they immigrated. My grandfather was, I believe he was around 20-ish, and my grandmother was much younger when she came with her family. Um, and they were business owners themselves. They owned a, a beauty parlor and um, in Elmont, New York, which is in Nassau County. And so just like the the guts to come from another country, not speak the language, um, raise family, have a business. You know, I often credit them with my um, courage that, that I, that I have. Uh, and my dad's parents were also immigrants. My grandmother was from Hungary and my grandfather was from Italy, from Sicily. Um, same thing. They, they had a business. They had a, um, they had like a, a cafe and, you know, the, just the, the immigrant mentality, I think that we've kind of lost that a little bit. They were really fearless. And the most important thing was to earn money for their family and to, to make a name for themselves here in the U S and they, they all did really well. So your, so your mom's folks, what, what part of Italy were they from? My grandmother was from Naples and my grandfather was from Sicily. And did they, they know each other before they came out? No, they did not. They met here in the U.S. Oh, the, you know, so I don't know if you know this, but my wife is 100% Italian. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So, you know, and I'm 100% Irish, about 100%. I, I'm sure there's there's some parts of me that are not Irish, but but um, I always joke to my wife that, uh, and my mom won't feel bad. My, my mom, you know, I'm, I'm one of 10 kids, and, and uh, the Irish experience of food growing up um, is, um, let's just say that it's, is not the Italian echelon. Okay. <laughs> I, I, so I remember, I, I still remember, I can still taste it right now. I, when, when I met Michelle, my wife in law school, I was a third year. She was a first year. She's from Chicago and guess where we are now, Chicago. And so Chicago. I was from the West coast. I had no intention of being in Chicago. And so I, I ended up meeting my wife. Um, in a bowling alley, neither one of us bowl. And um, <laughs> I think that we'd had a few drinks. And um, so anyway, so I ran into her and um, this is in February. And I think it was, I graduated in May, but it was sometime in March or April. She invited me over to her apartment and, to make me dinner. And I said, boy, I've never, I don't think I've ever had that. So anyway, so, so I go over there and She's made me this unbelievable dinner, twice baked potatoes, uh, <laughs> steak. And um, it, it, was, it was like she really understood cooking. She really understood the food. And it wasn't out of a can. And it wasn't boiled. <laughs> and I was like, I think I kind of like this. <laughs> that's so funny. That's it's so typical, too. I mean, I've had people, friends of mine and, and you know, uh, friends in college come to the house for dinner. And I remember one one friend of mine in particular, my mother, you know, they would serve the pasta and then we would he thought that was it. 
but then came the the chicken and the vegetables and then the dessert and it was, so it was like four courses and he was like oh my gosh you should have warned me about this because, because I would have saved room but yeah food is really important in the Italian culture and you know I'm I mean, uh, Irish and Italian is a good combination, though, I have to say. Well, it, it, I mean, the kids are beautiful. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, but I definitely, as far as the food aspect, you know, uh, growing up, I mean, we were just happy to eat. Um, but there was a lot of canned stuff, a lot of boiled stuff, a lot of, you know, ready-made stuff. But I tell you, when I, when I got deeper into the Italian web, um, you know, my my wife's parents are unbelievably good cooks. I mean, they are just and they care so much about what they eat and where they buy it and all these types of things. Mm -hmm. And um, I gained big time when I <laughs> after I, I joined this family. And, you know, when when you marry an Italian, you marry the family. And I I liked it. I, I you know, um, I remember vividly also the first time I came to visit for Christmas and um, my, my, uh, my wife said, okay, we're going to go over to my grandparents for um, Christmas Eve. I said, oh, wow. oh, that sounds like a really good time. So I figured, you know, we'll just go over there. We'll stay for an hour. We'll say hello. Mm -hmm. And then, then we're out of there. Well, so basically it was a snowstorm in Chicago I get into the car. We're staying with her parents and her sister and, and her future husband and, and I are in the car and they're driving through the snowstorm, which I'm like, this isn't safe. And they, and they, they're driving down the, the expressway and we get to this, this house in this, this uh, town called Berwyn, which is a near um, West suburb of Chicago. And there's 30 people there. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> Aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody. And um, and like you said, there, there was it was like a, a, a flight of food. There was <laughs> there, there was, you know, the appetizers, which were I mean, would have been way more than we would have eaten just once one or two sittings for meals. And then then came the the uh, the salad and it came the main course and then it came the desserts mm -hmm. and then there was the coffee and the the wines and I mean it was like I, I, I mean, walked out of there and I'm and I was like I'm really really liking this family. <laughs> Did they do the traditional fish dinner? Oh yes, for oh yeah, for, yeah, yeah. We still do that for Christmas Eve. We that's my favorite. We do this, yeah. We and and we Michelle and I host that typically, and Michelle's parents. Um, Tony and Carmela come over and they are unbelievable. They, they have been, you know, barbecuing and roasting and do, you know, they do all these unbelievable dishes. It's like, it, yeah. it's so much fun. So, so that's the, we, our typical thing is we, we will, you know, go to a, a mass or earlier mass and then we'll go come back and then everybody's there at the house and we do this, uh, Christmas, you know, this Christmas Eve, my kids don't know any different. They they think that everybody has Christmas Eve, you know, <laughs> seafood. And yeah. so um, what a culture. But yeah, so I, so getting back to, to your family. Yeah, you know what? I That's why I really, I really love this country as far as the whole immigrant story. Mm -hmm. um, and the guts, you're, you're right. To come to a different country where you don't speak the language and you open up your own business. How daunting that must be. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, that really took a lot of strength of character. And, you know, 
it was, we think it's hard for us, but imagine not speaking the language, not knowing the culture um, and really being so in, in a way suspicious of other people and really protecting your family. I mean, there's a great story. And I wrote a book about this, about how I, I always wondered why my grandparents had their beautiful living room couch covered in plastic and nobody actually went in there. It was almost like a museum. There was like almost like a rope. Yeah, know, I get it. Um, yeah. Right. And and the book that I read explained that, you know, immigrant families, they they worked really hard for everything they had. And when they were able to buy nice things, they really wanted to protect and preserve them for their family. And I sort of got I got insight into that in my into my 30s. But I remember being a kid in the summer and, and when I was allowed to go in the room, sitting on the plastic couch and having my legs stick to the couch because <laughs> it was hot. So, you know, there's a lot of things that my cousins and I still talk about because it was it really I feel fortunate to be brought up in that kind of environment. So, you know, that that really brings us to what your firm's about is, um, you know, what we pass on, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, speaking about your your both sets of grandparents, you know, both immigrants um, and coming over to this country and, you know, what people nowadays when they grow a business or, you know, have saved and saved and saved, they they have a legacy, don't they? Absolutely. And that's what it's all about, preserving the legacy. Um, you know, I've been asked, what what is a legacy to you? It, it's literally what you leave uh, when you're gone to your family, to your um, people that have known you. And what we do is make sure that people's legacies are preserved and that things go to the next generation that they've worked so hard for. So it, it really is rewarding to be able to do that for people. So, you know, what what does tell me what distinguishes your firm from other firms as far as, you know, um, listen, I, you know, some people, they, they before they get on an airplane, they say, oh, I need to drop a will. And then they <laughs> dash off somewhere and try and do a will and, you know what, what distinguish that kind of thing to what you do? Yeah, well, I mean, I've seen some of that under the circumstances. I've had people call me and say, oh, we have to do a will because what if something happens as a result of this pandemic? Um, you know, and because of the, the changes, I mean, there's been a couple of executive orders that are allowing us to do things more remotely, remote notarization and remote witnesses now just came into, to came to pass this week. But generally, you know, in our practice, it's more a, a learning process. And we sit with the people. And, and as Michael and I always say, you know, probably 90% of this type of law is, is social and 10% legal. And what I mean by that is we sit and we talk to people about their families and about the difficulties they may have, um, you know, getting along or whatever. It could be a whole whole plethora of things. I mean, the, the norm now is, is not, um, you know, mom and dad and kids. There's, there are extended families. There are um, second marriages. So by the time I get to know my clients, I feel like I've almost had a therapy session with them. And a lot of them, you know, are, are very grateful to be able to get out these, these points about their families and about what they want to leave behind. So, I mean, that's one thing. It's not cut and dry. It's not come in, sign this document. It's a, it's a process. Um, the other thing is we're completely accessible to people even after they sign the documents. I mean, unfortunately, the standard in a lot of cases is here are your documents. Goodbye. Um, 
But what we do is we develop a relationship with our clients. So, you know, in this area of law, just like in many areas, questions come up and sometimes bad things happen. And our clients are assured that they have somewhere they can go if something happens or if they have a question. So that in combination with, you know, not asking for fees up, up front really puts us apart and, you know, from, from other firms and from, from other, you know, people, how, how they deal with things. So, I mean, our clients are very happy as a result. So how, how do people, when you, when, how do people find out about you? That's, I guess that's, that's what I want to know. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, before all of this happened, we really were in the seminar business. So what I mean by that, that of the 10 lawyers we have, um, seven or eight of them would do one or two seminars per week at restaurants. So we, we put on a dinner seminar. Um, we invite people. We have a direct mail company that um, solicits people based on their age and their zip code. And at that dinner, you know, first of, the, first of all, I let people eat first. <laughs> you know, a lot of times when you go to one of these seminars, the person wants to talk and makes you wait to eat. It's more of a social and informational gathering. That's the Italian side so, of you, Suzanne. <laughs> absolutely. I can't let people wait to eat, especially seniors. <laughs> um, so at that seminar, you know, we give an overview of, of what we do. And uh, people then set up, come in for free consultations. But now things are different. And going forward, I really believe things are going to change. I, I have to tell you that when all this happened and we realize that we're not going to be able to do seminars at least now and maybe for the foreseeable future because restaurants are closed uh even when this gets back to normal i think social distancing is going to be an issue my 20 year old son said to me mom this could be the best thing that ever happened to the firm because and i said to him what are you talking about luke and he said as a result of this you're going to have to find other ways to get the word out there and move into the 21st century uh, by doing social media marketing. We're already doing that, but more of that um, by doing online seminars, reaching out to people in other ways. And I really think in a way, this is, is like a blessing in disguise because we are making efforts to change the way we get the word out there. To yeah, people. Well, you know what? The, um, I've interviewed Michael and, um, and you know, I'm interviewing you. And let me just tell you, the more that you do this type of thing where you're speaking to people, cause you're both unbelievably articulate, you will do fine. Thank you. Um, and then if Thank you can you. figure out a way to feed people while you're you know, doing that, yeah. maybe, maybe you can do some takeout for them. Uh, yeah. We were considering, we used to do um, hotels, you know, where they have the conference rooms and have a buffet lunch. We, we tried that in the, in the winter time to do it during the day so that people didn't have to come out at night and we're considering that perhaps because we have to have food. I mean, food, you have to feed your people. That You're right. That is the Italian yeah. in me. And Michael's Jewish. So it's the same thing. Italian, Jewish. I love it. Thing. Yeah. You know, the, um, <laughs> my, my first law firm that I, that I worked for in Chicago when I, when I moved here was Siegel, McCambridge, Singer, and Mahoney. So it was Jewish guy, Irish wow. guy, Jewish guy, <laughs> Irish guy. And so I think it, I was lucky because I think it was the Irish guy's turn. And I, I found out, um, uh, you know, that Chicago was such a melting pot with different cultures. And, you know, I know New York is the same way in all of America. I just, I mean, that's, to me, the genius of America is that we, you know, we seem to all get along, to, you know, whereas other countries, they can't. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're very fortunate that way because we get to experience other cultures and 
see how other people do things. Yeah, I, I agree. yeah. So, it, um, well, you know, I, I, getting back to that whole thing with um, the legacy aspect, you know, one of the things I saw, you know, I, I did a little bit of research on your firm is that mm-hmm. what what folks want to do is they don't only want to leave, um, you know, money to the next generation or to their grandkids or, or whoever. Basically, the way that you guys put it is it's sharing your life's work. And, you know, that if you put it that way, you know, all of us, you know, work hard. You know, some of us have our own businesses. Some of us have been working for, you know, a company forever and ever. And we, you know, worked hard to save money and, 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 and want our, um, our kids to succeed, but we want to put it the, the right way. And, and one of the things that, that I, that I've learned in researching these things is that half of people at some time in their life, and maybe I'm wrong, you're the expert, will become disabled in some way during their mm-hmm. lifetime. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because we're living longer, um, about 50% of us will develop some disability during our so lifetime. So do you guys, what so, do you guys do? What does your firm do to deal with the disability aspect? Yeah, well, that's basically the elder law um, aspect of planning, the disability planning. So, we, so disability planning uh, encompasses things like power of attorney, so that if you become disabled, you have someone able to take care of um, business, legal, financial issues. We also do healthcare proxy and living will uh, for medical decisions. Now, you know, I say elder law, but anyone over 18 really needs to have these two documents in place, power of attorney and healthcare proxy, because if something happens to you, if you become disabled, you're an adult and your parents don't have authority to act for you unless these documents are in hand. So I, you know, I often tell my clients, make sure your kids and your grandkids have these documents in place as well. Um, and, and getting back to the elder law aspect of it, you know, we do, uh, we do trust for people so that if they become disabled, then their, their child usually, who is the trustee, will have authority to take over their affairs. So these are all things that, that a will does not accomplish because a will doesn't go into effect until you die. Whereas if you do a trust, you have all of these benefits and they go into effect if you're alive and you become disabled. Yeah, That's how you know, we handle it. Um, the, the, the telling mark is that somebody's going to be making the decisions and it's whether or not it's going to be right. the state of New York or whether it's going to be somebody that you actually love and trust is going to be making those decisions. Isn't that right? Absolutely. You know, you don't want to be put in the position where the court appoints a guardian to oversee your affairs, you know, because generally they don't pick your family um, because they feel it's a conflict. The family spends the money on you. It comes out of their inheritance. So oftentimes they pick lawyers, as, as you know, and, you know, nothing against having a lawyer in charge. But if you can have a family member in charge, why would you not go that way? Yes. And, the, and so w- the one thing that I, I that I mean, there's a lot of things I like about your process. I like the fact that that when when you meet with uh, somebody at your law firm and and you sit down, you don't write them a check right then. They they listen to you. They take down your information. They get to know you a little bit better. The therapy session, as you like to call it, and then they mm-hmm. then find out what your goals are, and then how long does it typically take for for your your folks to put together some sort of plan? 
So, I mean, I, when clients ask me that, I tell them as quickly or, or as long as you want or need. Um, you know, generally the first meeting that we have at that meeting will, as I said, we discuss their situation. Um, I give them a copy of Michael's book, which, which you mentioned earlier, and I assign them some, some chapters to read. I give them some homework. I, I would like to give a quiz, but Michael won't let me give a quiz to our clients. So, so I don't do that. And then we generally, in a couple of weeks, we have a free follow-up appointment where at that point I answer their questions. And if they say, a lot of people say, listen, it sounds good. Let's go ahead. That's when we do a proposal and we draft all the documents. And then maybe two weeks later, everything is done. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we go over the documents with them. I, you know, go through paragraph by paragraph. I always say translating from legalese to English and then they sign. And, and you know, it can be done within several weeks if necessary. Um, sometimes people take a few more weeks just to make sure they understand every point. And so okay does the relationship in there? <clears throat> no, it doesn't. It, it just starts, actually. Um, we, we monitor and maintain the plans. If there are changes in the law, that affect the plan, we call people in and we update them. Now that, honestly, that does not happen very often, but we have, you know, record of every plan. We have, it's all computerized. So we'll know if, if something happens and it's affected. We also, um, as I said before, we offer free advice so that you can call or email anytime. And every three years we have a free review. So we do call you back in to look over everything. Because as you know, things change, right? Um, divorces, marriages, birth stats. And if there's a change that needs to be made, we keep on top of that. I, I can't tell you how many people have come in and say to me, I did a will five years ago and I called the lawyer because I had a question, but he died <laughs> or she retired, right? And, and who has the will? The lawyer does. You know, they, they keep the original generally so that that will encourage the family to go to them if there's a probate. We give our clients all the original documents, you know, so they're not bound to us, but they know that we're here for them. Um, another thing we do is we have a breakfast every two years and people say, well, you fed them dinner. You know, what are you, <laughs> what are you having a breakfast for? The purpose of the breakfast is to have um, the client and their family come and meet us. And we update them on the, the firm, what's going on. We're, you know, we're keeping the lines of communication open. And I have to tell you, when I, when I do a, a signing with someone, and they call me the first time with a question. Nine out of 10 times they say this, Suzanne, I'm sorry to bother you, but, and I say, listen, this is all part of the, the flat fees and this is, this is my job, you're not bothering me. By the 10th call, they're okay with it. <laughs> but initially it's a little foreign for people to, to realize that, they're, that I'm accessible well, it, to them. To, you know, I, I really like the, the, the business model in that you guys send a, a, neat, a newsletter too, don't you? Yes, we have a weekly newsletter sent by email. It's called the Ettinger Elder Alert. Um, quite a catchy name. And, you know, it's, it's all different articles. Uh, lately, we've been sending things about, you know, the current situation, try to keep people informed, let them know that we're still, we're still working, we're still here for them. But it's a nice way to That's reach great. out to people. Hey, listen, I wanted to talk to you um, about, you know, you're, you're growing up um, in Huntington, can you tell us some of your first jobs? Oh my goodness, yeah. Um, well, I was a I was a hostess at a restaurant called Chi Chi's, which is Wait, a Mexican how old restaurant. Which is no. Oh my gosh, I think I was sixteen at that point. Um, yeah, and that was uh, that that restaurant is no longer there, but that was interesting. Um, 
I was I had a, a series of hostess jobs. I was a hostess at the the International House of Pancakes when I was 16 in an effort to save money because I went on a student exchange program in high school. So I was I was I'm very proud to say that I was able to save the money to Well, you know, you to work trip. at an International um, House of Pancakes. That is that is quite the upper crust <laughs> there, Suzanne. Yeah, well, other otherwise Did you get it IHOP, did you but... did you get some free meals out of that? <laughs> Very oh, nice. of course, of course, nice. yeah, definitely. Um, what else did I do? I worked at, uh, I worked at the local mall and some of the the retail stores there, you know, and nothing uh, that was too earth shattering. Just your typical teenage jobs, and then of course, uh, you know, I went to I went to college and law school, and with the time that I got out of law school. It was right after the stock market crashed. So it was like 92. So a lot of the kids who were going to business school decided to go to law school. So it made jo- getting a job that much tougher. But I was lucky enough to start working in Queens um, at a Helmsley Spear building um, doing property management, you know, the legal aspect of that. So I got my feet wet in that and was doing landlord tenant after that, um, which was not a very great area of the law. And luckily, I ended up doing this, which is a fantastic area. I would recommend this to anyone considering um, practicing law. It's, when did you start doing estate planning work? So I've only been doing this for a little over five years. Um, I actually was home with my kids for several years when they were growing up. I was fortunate enough to, to be home with them. Um, they're now 17 and 20. So, they're, oh, yeah. you know, I've got, don't need I've, me as much. I've got around that <laughs> age, know? too. I, I understand your experience. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big change, you know, when they're little, uh, as I said, I was fortunate enough to, to be there for them. Um, you know, now, now they're just, they're just my <laughs> friends, which is great. <laughs> you know, they don't need me as much. So, so, so it's a wonderful so thing. So when, when you were, but when I, you were doing I, all these different types of work, to, to, how did that prepare you for, for estate planning? Honestly, I have to tell you that being a mother, and uh, a wife and, you know, a volunteer uh, for the PTA and for all the other activities I was involved in. I think that prepared me more than any law or any job that I had, because, as I said, you, you know, you need to be able to relate to people. And with the life experience that I have, I'm able to. I, I had, you know, a dad who had dementia, who was a stubborn Italian guy who didn't want to do a trust. And I had to convince him to do it. So I know that aspect when people come in and say, My parents don't want to talk about doing a trust. You know, they don't want us to know how much money they have. I can relate. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've been through a lot of things. So I think that is is a good background in my case anyway. So did did you ever convince your dad to sit down and do it? (laughs) I did. I did. Yeah. My brother and sister and I were able to um, convince him. And he was at the, the onset of his dementia at that point. And fortunately, we were able to put a plan in place and um, he's since I'm passed. Sorry. It's been three years, but no, thank you. But we were able to, you know, um, preserve his assets. We were able to get him care while he was alive and in home care. And um, when he passed, the settlement of the estate was, was a breeze, not because I'm a lawyer, but right. because so, he had a trust. So I don't know if people really have a, an appreciation for what happens to, to property when, when somebody passes away without a trust, but, you know, say, for example, somebody has a home, they kept it in their name and um, they don't have a trust 
and they have a bunch of property and they die. Can the, can the kids just, you know, that are left just assume ownership of the property? No, they can't um, until there's a probate of the estate. Now, if they have a will, the will will go through the courts and that and must the be an easy proceeding. process. Uh, the per- oh, it's, <laughs> it's a breeze in New York, especially in New York. Are you the kidding me? A year? a year. So a year. So if somebody has a house that has to go through probate, they can't even put it on the market or rent it because they're not allowed to sign as the representative until oh, the probate is completed, which appoints them executor. So, and, and think about this, if you have property in multiple states, you cannot start the probate in the second state until the New York probate is completed. So if your state has to wait a year before they can even start the next probate, that's going to be even longer. Why wouldn't multiple people and do this? Why wouldn't they want to, to go to trustlaw.com and get this thing going? Explain to me is why they wouldn't want to do this. Well, I mean, in my opinion, in my experience, what I've seen, the people that don't want to do it don't really know about it. You know, there are plenty of people out there that are not even aware um, what trust can do. I, I think that the perception is if you hear the word trust, you think you have to be a billionaire. But these are not those kind of trusts. These, most of our clients are middle class, lower, middle or upper middle class. And if you have something that you need or want to preserve and to make it easier for your family, then a trust is the way to go. And, and certainly it's not for everyone, but it's getting the information out there. Once they're aware and they see it, it's a good fit for them. Then most people right. say, yeah, it's and, a no brainer. And then they get this weekly update for free. They get the checkup for free. They get, they get the yeah. breakfast. So nice. They get the breakfast. I mean, come yeah. on, you get this. And I'm sure the Italian side of you just basically makes it, listen, we need to get a little bit better food here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it works very well. We're, and, you know, I'm very happy to be able to do this, um, this type of work. And, you know, with the way things are right now, people are, are frightened and they're nervous, but we're reaching out to our clients to let them know that we're here for them. Yeah, you I'm know, sure it's, you're doing the same. it's uh, you know, I tell folks that, um, well, for sure for you, you guys don't ever want to be in court, right? Yeah, we're never so, forced. No. Nope. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. the way you want to be. I mean, and and in my business, we use the court system for what it's made for, which is basically to help people resolve disputes. But you're trying to get it so that people never have disputes. That's exactly right. I mean, that was the impetus for forming the firm. You know, back 30 years ago, Michael said, "I found out people could avoid court and make it easier to." settle the estate and I decided to go become, you know, be trained as an elder law estate planning attorney. So I, I'm so looking at this, uh, your website, trustlaw.com. And boy, that's a pretty good website name. I like that. Yeah, that totally yeah, that was get. a good guess. Trustlaw.com. So I'm looking at it and then I'm looking at this picture and the listeners got to go to this website and check it out because there's 24 people in the firm picture and 22 of them are women. <laughs> I, you know, people ask me about that all the time. And I tell them my husband is a very smart man because he knows that women are, get the job done. They're, you know, we don't have, the, we don't have the same ego problems. We're just workers. Um, and, and this kind of law, especially there's gotta be some, not that men are not compassionate. I mean, Joe, you're living proof. You're a compassionate guy, but 
you know, I've I've had experience with um, male attorneys that we've hired who didn't have the same kind of uh, repertoire or interaction with the clients. They were more cut and dry. And you really have to be emotionally available to these people because they're talking about their families and their legacies and their lives. And it seems to work very well uh, with That's a great. So, female firm. Um, you know, I, I typically will ask people, Susanna, and I think you may have even told me um, during this interview already, but uh, are there any defining moments in your personal life that that were something that, that shaped the way that you you think something about things or where you got to today? Well, that's a that's a good question. Um, I really think I mean, going back to when when I was in fifth grade and I heard a lawyer come into our classroom and speak and decided that's what I wanted to do. I mean, just based on what this guy had said, I said, that sounds like that's for me. Uh, that was certainly a defining moment, you know, and, and going through life. Uh, what I mentioned my father earlier. That was a, a big factor in my deciding to go and become involved in this area of the law because it, this was pre, um, you know, practicing this area. And I dealt with a, a, a local attorney who was he was wonderful. And I saw that the compassion and the knowledge and how it helped our family so much. And I, I said, this is for me. So, you know, and dealing with a, my father was much older. He um, he died when he was 89 and this is three years ago. So he was much older when um, he had me. So it was like another generation. Um, so dealing with an elderly parent and, and the fact that he had health issues and dementia and my brother and sister and I really having to step up, it made me a little bit more. Um... Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So um, I have a I have a 98 year old father, and um, my sister Mary Jo lives with him, and it's such a wonderful situation for us. Um, very blessed. Just you know, I try and talk to him on the telephone and and find out what's going on, and um, it's 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 absolutely you know this whole thing about uh, elder law and. Uh, state planning it hits home with everybody because you know there's a hundred percent mortality rate last time i checked that's true that's true <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody just don't get down i mean it's it's all, it's all good it's all good it's all good yeah so um you know one of the things that that um i think shapes people too is that um that relationship that they have with their grandparents oh did yeah. you were, were you were you were you lucky enough to have your grandparents in your lives? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's an invaluable relationship. I mean, I it's funny. Whenever we got the chance to stay at grandma's and grandpa's house, we would jump at it because we were treated like queens and kings. You know, it was a wonderful experience. And um, I'm so happy and, and lucky to have had that in my life. What, what, did, what kind of things can you can you tell us that you learned from your grandparents? Well, I mean, I didn't realize it when I was younger, but the fact, and I, again, I'm, I'm going back to the fact that they had their own business in a country where they were not born, where they did not speak the language. The fact that they had this business, and I remember as a child going in and all of these, you know, these women would come weekly to get their hair done, but it was like the place to be, you know, and I, I'm so impressed by that now as a business owner, because it wasn't just cutting hair it was running a business it was employees it was um, the facility and 
you know, now in, in my life dealing with this, these things, I really give them so much credit for, for going ahead and doing this. Um, you know, besides that, just being with them was fantastic. Um, yeah, I was, I was a little bit closer to my mom's parents just because we, we saw them more often. Um, but both sides were just wonderful, wonderful grandparents and just have left my brother and sister and I with wonderful memories. We were just reminiscing the other day, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's great. And then what was, what was the best food that they made? Oh, let's see. My grandmother made everything she made was unbelievable. My, my (laughs) Italian grandmother. I mean, really, when you talk about, you know, uh, Christmas Eve, that is still by far my favorite meal. Um, I, I don't know, just dishes just kept coming out one after the other, but she made a killer lasagna. I have to say it was like a six inch pan. It was really deep. Um, and it was wonderful. That's great. Well, listen, I, I, I wanted to thank you so much for spending some time with us. And, um, you know, folks, if you're in New York and you cover the state, don't you? Yes, we do. And uh, so trustlaw.com, check out the, all the information. That the, the thing that I like about it is the resources um, are unbelievable. You can get, a, you can, you can get uh, Michael Ettinger's book, Elder Law, and then there's tons of information um, that, that you can get from these folks. And again, you don't pay until you absolutely are um, happy with your plan. Um, I, I thought one thing that was funny, the publication you guys have, Estate Planning for Pets, A Trust for Fluffy. <laughs> Listen, I have some people that come in and that's the first question they ask me. How do I, how do I preserve you know, money and, and uh, have someone care for my pet if I pass? I had a gentleman who had five parrots and you know how long parrots live. Wow. Uh, and that, that was his family. And so we had to craft a plan for him. Wow. So yeah, and you look at all these publications, uh, I mean, just amazing. And then all the, the, the free follow-up and the relationship. And, and if you ever, if, if you have the, the chance to meet Suzanne and Michael, you're, you're, your life's going to be changed for the better. These people really do care about what they do. They're going to leave a legacy of this great business. And, um, and the folks that, that they represent are so lucky. And so thank you so much for spending time with thank us, you. Suzanne. Thank you so much, Joe. And I really appreciate you talking to me and I, I wish you I wish everyone out there who celebrates a happy Passover and I wish you a happy Easter and stay well. You too. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312 578 9501. Have a terrific day.